Hey there, we're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to freedom. Imagine this. The city of your ancestors is more than a thousand miles away and you've never seen it with your own eyes. You've never seen it with your own eyes because you were captive in a foreign land. While you have never stepped into the city, the stories of her glory go on and you've heard story after story of the land in which your ancestors came from. And then all of a sudden, the Lord calls you to go to the city, his city. The stories have been told, but now you get to see this city, God's city, to restore it and bring it back to his people. While you know you must follow what the Lord has called you to do, you realize you are under the the captivity of one of the most powerful men on the planet. You're, You're captive not just to him, but to a city and this vast empire. And that very king later, months later, sees you and your face is downcast. And this king tells you, Why is your face down and why are you so downcast? And you proceed to open your mouth and tell him, my ancestors' place is in ruins. And I've been called by my God to restore it. And that very same king looks at you and says, go. I'll give you the resources you need. Go restore this land. And then when you're done, return to me. Favor that you never imagined would take place. Because you told him that you had a burden. Because you told him that you had a passion to restore a place that needed restoration. Upon arrival to this nation that you never walked in, never saw, never lived in. You realize that the walls are not the only thing that are torn down. You realize that it's been a broken city with a broken people who have lost not just its structure, but its identity, its security. And everything that they know, your people have lost their identity. This is the story of Nehemiah. This is the story of a man who served the God who has a covenant with his people. This is not just the story of Nehemiah. This is a story of a burden. A burden that's bigger than the man. A burden that's bigger than any one of us in this room. For those of you that know, know, Nehemiah was a man after, um, he, he knew God and he knew who his God was, but he was captive. And he was captive to King Exerces. He was the cupbearer. In fact, he was a trusted individual by the king at about 445 BC. Ezra writes in the book of Nehemiah about Nehemiah. And Ezra tells the story, and the story is absolutely amazing because what Nehemiah is able to do in 52 days has never been seen in all of history. He restored a nation. Now listen to me for a moment. I need you to understand something. You need to understand that Nehemiah had everything going on for himself. While he was captive... 
while he was a, 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 a prisoner of the king, he also had a good situation. He was the king's cupbearer, a trusted individual. Let me tell you something. If you trust someone with your life, would you take good care of them? This is Nehemiah's situation. Listen, you don't want to anger the person that's between you and the next poison drink. Because that's what the cupbearer was. He was, to, he was to watch over your food, watch over your life. In a lot of ways, the cupbearer was the one thing standing between you and a possible assassination. So this man was trusted by King Xerxes. So here's this man who lived in, a, in the same palace as the king, and he was a trusted individual. He was the one that was called to leave that comfort and go to a city that's in ruins. In fact, how many know it's easier to build a city that has never been than a city with the rubble that is there already? Right? Can you imagine if we took everything out of this room and said, would you put the chairs together? Yeah, absolutely. Put them up one by one. It'll take some time, but it's better than if we scattered the chairs everywhere and then we said, go ahead and put them in place. It's a mess. Well, multiply that into Nehemiah's situation, who went back to a city that was in ruins. The walls are all over the place. And listen, this is, we're talking about 140 years the walls have been destroyed at this point. This is not this happened last week, it's fresh. There are weeds growing all around, all over, right? We realize that this is an ugly situation. Cupbearer in the king's palace, probably a big bed, widescreen, high-definition television. Whatever that looked, okay, so they didn't have television, but good situation. Leave that situation and come into a hostile environment where people don't want you to restore walls, don't want you to regain. Talk about the ultimate leave your comfort zone situation, yes? But the Lord calls us to do what? To rise up and walk in obedience to your calling. And that's my message this morning as I entitle this Rise Up. Rise up, because it's very easy for us to stay comfortable, yes? Who likes comfortable? Who likes comfort, yes? Some of you have Egyptian cotton sheets, and you know what comfort is, right? You have serious pillowcases that are like heaven's pillow. You know what it means to live in comfort, right? Trust me, I know. I believe in a good pillow. (laughs) To live in what? To go back to a city that's been destroyed for many, many years and now restore it back to its former glory. You know, this story sounds a lot like our cities in America today. You know, that story sounds a lot like what we're going through in America. Look at me for a moment. I need you to hear what I'm saying to you. I'm telling you that God is calling his people to rise up and restore. Restore the glory that we believe can come through only the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I'll often get asked by people, Pastor Tony, how can I find the will of God for my life? Good question. How could I find the will of God for my life? And you know what I often respond in the simplest term. Here it is. Are you ready? I often ask, what makes you tick and what makes you sick? What makes you tick 
and what makes you sick. You can find the will of God and what makes you tick. In other words, what, what passions do you have in your life that makes you go, that I will get up for every day in my life? What passions do you have that make you go, that, if you, even if you didn't pay me, I'd do that? Can I tell you something? I'd preach if I wasn't even paid for it. Because it's a calling. It's what makes me tick. Are you hearing me? It's not just what makes you tick, but also I implore you to hear me. It's also what makes you sick. When you're sick and tired of seeing things happen in your city, when you're sick and tired of seeing things happen in your family, when you're tired of seeing things happen in the workplace, you decide, you know what? If people get to have a break for this and a break for that, I'm going to have a Bible study break. I'm going to have a break with my coworkers. You know what makes me sick? To see young people walking the streets with nothing to do, no purpose, no destiny in their lives. That's what makes me sick. So what do I do? I make a difference that way. You know what makes me sick? I hate to see kids walking the street without shoes. People walking the street, drug-infested cities in our nation. You know what makes me sick? That makes me sick. So you know what? Do something about it. What makes you tick and what makes you sick? You want to find the will of God? Oftentimes, it's the giftings that make you tick and the burden that makes you sick. Are you hearing me? Is this helping anybody? Because you want to find the will of God, it's often found in one of those two. What drives you? What motivates you? That's what makes you tick. That's what makes you go. What makes you sick? I'm tired. You know why you're tired? There's a good chance that God has put you smack dab in the middle of the way you're feeling with that burden because he's called you to do something about it. Rebecca, you have a call. You have a desire. You're sick and tired of seeing churches in Europe or the lack of Christianity in Europe. So you know what? She's packing up her stuff and she's going to go that direction. There's many of you, you're sick of certain things and you're wondering, what is the call of God for my life? Can I tell you something? The call of God is often found in what makes you tick and what makes you sick. Both of them can catapult you into the middle of God's will and do amazing things. Why? Because living in comfort is not always the will of God for your life. It's very easy to live in comfort, yes? It's very easy to stay in that that zone of comfort. But when you leave that zone, like some of you this week, as we head into the city, a city that's a little different than maybe you've grown up in or known your whole life, we're getting ready to go into an area that's difficult. People could be sitting in the middle of the street, strung out, shoeless, No money, no job, no home, no food. That's time to rise up. It's time to say enough is enough. What makes you tick? What makes you sick? I tell you, that's where you find your calling in a lot of times. You're tired of injustice. You're tired of oppression. What about in your community? Are you tired of seeing the addiction, broken families? Are you tired of seeing the lostness in people's eyes? I am. I am. I'm tired of seeing people lost. And I offer Jesus. I offer hope. But you know what? I also offer a glass of water. Because when I offer that, 
It's like I'm giving it to Jesus himself. That's what the scripture taught me. That's the practical. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Today's message is about how to see Christ in the world today. How do we serve Christ in the world today in a very real practical way? So I want to tell you something that this morning's message has to do with your vision for your life, but also partnering with a vision of somebody that may have something a little bigger than you right now. You know, it's okay to borrow somebody else's vision when you don't have one at first, but you got to go get your own. Are you hearing me? You say, you come to Christ. The moment you come to Christ, a lot of times people don't have a vision for their lives. They don't. They come to Christ, they're like, what do I do? You're not going to scold them because you're going to be like, what do you mean? What do you do? Go tell people about Jesus right now. You can't do that. They don't even know what they just walked into in a lot of cases. Are you hearing me? So what do you do? You partner with somebody that has a vision for something. I want to be a part of that. I see that that's worth doing, yes? Some of you got saved here at this very altar. You came to Jesus and you accepted him as your savior and you don't have a vision for your life, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to keep serving freedom until I figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life, right? Until I find that thing that makes me tick or that thing that makes me sick. And when you find it, you do it. You do it with all your heart. You do it with all your soul. An important question you have to ask yourself today is this. What breaks your heart? Is it the same thing that breaks the heart of God? Friend, I'm going to caution you with this. Can I caution you with this for a moment? Be careful to ask God, give me the burden that breaks your heart. Be careful when you ask that prayer. Because he just very well might give it to you. And while I believe that everyone in this room should have the heart of God, you need to be ready to receive what he's about to tell you. Because guess what? If you ask for the heart of God and he reveals to you what it is and you see it, you're responsible for it. See, you're not responsible for what you don't know, but you are responsible for that which you do. So when God reveals his heart to you, be very careful because whatever he reveals to you, you're responsible for Revelation requires responsibility. Come on, that's worth writing down. That's tweetable right there. Just write it down. <laughs> Revelation requires responsibility. We look at things like nuclear reactors that are no longer uh, in function. And we look at, wow, that was potential energy there, right? I believe that we're sitting as kingdom people like potential nuclear reactors. I believe that we often sit, you know, in, in, in the middle of comfort, asking God, show us what it means to make an impact, but we never leave that circle. And all we live our lives, listen, you know what's the worst thing someone could, uh, listen, if I breathe my last breath and I'm in the casket, and someone walks up to my casket. You know what's the worst thing that could be said about me? He had so much potential. I want everything that I have in me to have been exerted. Ex what's the word I'm looking for? Exerted. Everything that I have in me to have come out in my life. Everything. 
And someone could walk up to my casket instead and say, that man was all in. And everything he did. I'm passionate about everything I do. Church, monopoly. Like dumb things. I'm passionate about. Because I live my life that way, all in. You, you play me in a racing game? I'm all in. I may very well just throw a kick at you if you're beside me just to try to win. I'm all in. I'm just kidding. I only did that once. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, sorry about that, Jason Larson. You won, you won in spirit. Um, whatever you do, you do it with all your heart. Amen? Nehemiah is that example. Here's what it said, verses 1 through 10 of Nehemiah chapter 1. If you, have, if you can, turn there really quickly. It's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So if you've gone to Job, you've gone too far. before Psalms chapter 1 the words of Nehemiah son of Hekeliah in the late autumn in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of the king of Xerxes reign I was in the fortress of Susa Hannah and I one of my brothers came to visit me with some of the men who had just arrived from Judah I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem they said to me Things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Did you hear that? Verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. This is New Living Translation, by the way. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, I will obey your commands and live by them. Even then, if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the people. Excuse me, back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. Did you see how I recalled God's promise back to God? It's okay to do that. You can recall God on his promise because that's more for you than it is for him. You ever prayed a prayer that you know you were talking to God, but you know you needed to hear your own self say? Verse 10, and the people you rescued by your own great power and strong hands are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who are or those of us who delight in honoring you, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in the heart to be kind to me in those days I was the king's, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. He's recalling back this story. Again, he said, give me favor. And the king looked at him and said, and in the story as it stood, the king said, why are you so sad? And you know what he said? In not so many words, he said, I have a burden on my heart. So let me, let me give you some clues to this text as to how we ourselves can rise up, hello, as the people of God 
How can we rise up? What are some things that this text tells me as a believer? What are you, what are you getting out of this, Pastor Tony? Well, I'm going to share this with you right here. Number one, find your burden. Find your burden. Nehemiah said this, when I heard this, I wept, I mourned. Listen, this is not, oh, shucks, that's really messed up. That's not the burden. And that's not a burden. That's a, oh, man, that's messed up kind of thing. I don't even know what that is. That's not a burden. A burden causes you to mourn. A burden causes you to pray a prayer that nobody understands because it's, it's doused in the understanding that nobody can understand the words that are coming out of my heart right now. Let me ask you this question. Not, and this is not a show of hands, but you, those of you know what I'm talking about. You ever prayed in such a way that nobody in this room would ever understand you because it was a mourning, a deep prayer of either pain and you just cried because you understood pain on a whole new level? Nobody understands that pain and you can't quite put it into words. That's what Nehemiah prayed that day. He mourned. He prayed. He found the burden. So what am I saying to you today? Get bothered. Let something bother you. If something bothers you, pay attention to it. Because it could be part of your calling. Pay attention to the burdens that may, on, may be on your heart. You say, well, Pastor Tony, I shouldn't live in pain. No, I'm not asking you to live in pain. I'm asking you to have a burden. A burden for something because a burden drives your calling to the altar of God, to the feet of God. A burden drives you to do things that you would never do in the land of comfort. A burden will cause you to do things you would never do by yourself. You want to go hang out with somebody, it don't take a burden to do that. If you enjoy doing that, you enjoy doing it. A burden will say, you know what, if nobody else goes, I'm still going to go. If nobody else does, I'm still going to do. If nobody loves, I'm still going to love. A burden says, I will do what nobody else is willing to do. Find your burden. What am I talking about? Well, there's two passages in the book of Acts that talk about burden because you know, uh, we find very passionate people in the text, right? In the Bible. And so one of them is Paul. He was in Athens and he says, the longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the anger he got, he got angry. All these idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. He looked at a city and he said, all these idols, all these idols, they don't know it, but they're destroying the city. How many know America has idols? I'm not talking about the show. I'm talking about America has serious idols. And they don't, how many know we don't have to build a statue for it to be an idol? We just have to believe that that's more important than the things of God. We just have to believe that that's more important than the calling of God in our lives. We just have to believe that that's more important than bringing somebody to Christ. Some of you in your life, you don't realize it, but you are an amazing soul winner for Jesus. You just haven't taken that first step to find out. Some of you are going to find out this week what's in you. You're going to find out what's in you because you're going to be pushed outside of your comfort zone. And let me tell you something, that's a great thing. Not only that, we're already planning next year's missions trip to a foreign country. It's a foreign country. We'll deal with that another time. Trust me, right now, I'm telling you, 
We're doing some amazing things. Why? Because I desire for this body to move out of their comfort zone so we can impact the world. We can love God. We can love people. But we'll never change the world sitting in these seats alone. We got to do something about it outside of these doors, outside of these walls. Another passage in Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked. How many know that the spirit of God can provoke you? Look at that. What do you think of that? Look at that. What do you think of that? He didn't like it. He was provoked. And the Holy Spirit is like, that's what I want you to do. Preach like you're provoked. Love like you're provoked. Love like it's something deeper than just, here's a flyer, come see Jesus. We want you to read the Bible today. Would you? No. Uh, that, that doesn't spell passion for me. But if you say, listen, I know what you believe about the Bible, but let me tell you what God did in my life. All of a sudden, it's a personal testimony. Revelation tells us that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Testimony, the most powerful thing you have. And share your burden. You know what I did? I would share my burden, my life testimony with people that I knew needed to hear Jesus. I would share with them how I lost my dad young. I would share with them how, how God reached out to me in an outreach. I would share with them what I experienced. And all of a sudden, that opened great doors. Number two, because we realize that in our calling, the calling's supposed to cost me something, right? Hello? Your calling's supposed to cost you something. Somebody say amen, or I'm going to keep preaching like longer. Your calling costs you something, right? We cannot coast on someone else's calling. That was never an option. See, the calling, when focused on Christ, will crucify the things of this culture. You realize that when you follow Christ, watch this, when you follow Christ, that following Christ will go against what culture says, and you got to be okay with that. It will crush the idea of culture. Look at me. If you wrestle more about what your coworker thinks of you than what Christ thinks of you, If you care more about what this person or that person thinks about you over what the Lord thinks of you, your priorities are mismatched, right? So what I'm saying to you is this. When you put your focus on Christ, you have to crucify the things of this world. And the culture cannot dictate, right? The going statement says this, your feelings, which are very real, right? Your feelings are indicators, not dictators. Your feelings show you what uh, are indicating for you what is happening around you, but they're not dictators. We are supposed to follow not our own beliefs, but God and his word. Yes? So we don't follow our feelings because guess what? The world is following their feelings and we're seeing that on, uh, in the world today. Many prominent individuals, people of the faith, uh, for a long time they led other people and now they're saying, you know what, I'm not too sure about my faith. You know what happened there? You know what happened there? Can I tell you what happened there? 
Good, because I'm going to tell you. You know what happened there, right? They became so enthralled about their own opinion that they isolated themselves. And then the worst thing you could do there is then insulate yourself and you don't hear any voices of reason. And they self-existed in their own realm and nothing that self-exists can exist for a long period of time. You will run out of resources. He that is taught by his own self has a fool for a master. These prominent individuals pushed everybody away because they're so prominent. They never allowed voices of real people talking into their lives. Can I tell you something? I have the voices of real people in my life speaking into my life. Everyday people and wise people. Because I'm not too far from falling short. Neither are you. So you got to follow your calling and follow it with the burden that God is calling you. Number two, fast and pray. For days I mourned, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven, said Nehemiah. For days. Can I tell you something? We need to fast and we need to pray. Listen, you say, well, Pastor Tony, how important is fasting and prayer? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because even Jesus himself said this. Some demons are not even cast out without fasting and prayer. If Jesus said that, how many know y'all need to pay attention? And I need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. We need to fast and pray, amen? So here's what I'm calling us as a church to do. For the, all, all the month of September, coming up here for this next month, we're starting a brand new September series. I'll get to that next week. But all the month of September, prepare yourself. We're going to fast every Wednesday as a church. Every Wednesday as a church, we're going to fast. Whether it's one meal or, or two meals or one whole day, whatever that looks like. Fast TV, fast social media. You're going to get away from something so you can get to something. How many know that we don't run away from the world, we run toward God? And by that, we knock out two birds or one stone. Because if we run from the world, you could run to something else from the world. Another type of selfish situation, right? But when you run toward him, there's only one feet of Jesus. And, you, and by that, we run toward him. Fast and pray. Church, how many are willing to say, Pastor Tony, I'm willing to do that? Every Wednesday for the entire month, this upcoming month. I'm, I'm telling this early. We got another week or so, right? I'm telling you early to prepare yourself because some of you don't fast. And some of you just, let's, keep, let's be honest, some of us don't pray like we should. Amen? Not a lot of amens there, but I got a nod head. I'll take that. And some of you are like, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. All right? What I'm saying is this. I'm saying to you, what if we fasted? What if we prayed? What if we sought God like we never sought him before? Why don't you get a practice run next Wednesday and just start ahead of time. Get ahead of the game. Say, God, I'm going to spend time with you. Instead of spending in front of the TV or instead of eating a meal, instead of, I'm going to spend time with you. Fast and pray. Prayer is doing something. Fasting is doing something. We need to do something. We need to change the world around us. Amen? What am I talking about? I'm asking you to concentrate on what really matters, the cross of Jesus Christ. The third thing is simply this, practice repentance. Can I tell you something? No revival on this planet Earth has ever happened without genuine 
repentance, period. Study all of history. Study all of, uh, all of uh, the history of the church and you'll see that something happened after a prayer meeting. Something happened after people got together. When they prayed, when they fasted, but guess what? When they repented and they said, less of me is more of you. Genuine practice of repentance. Now we're walking through a book here as a life group here in the coming weeks. I'm walking through this book of my class, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Can I tell you something? It's a challenging book because it's going to challenge everything I know about meditating on the word, repentance, all the things that make Christianity what Christianity is. Why? Because we've, as a culture, not as a church, because I believe we're still on the right track. I believe as a culture, everybody's moving to just whatever I feel is right. I don't feel like God would accept that. I don't feel like, I don't feel like God would do that. Stop it with the feelings. I'm not saying don't feel. I'm not saying don't feel. But don't base your faith on feelings. It has to be in the word of God. I feel about my faith deeper than I ever have in my life. I'm not telling you don't feel. I'm saying don't base it on feelings. It's on the word of God, friend. So we're going back to basics as a church. We're going to go back to the disciplines that made the Christianity what it's, what it's supposed to be today. And we're moving toward that direction. And one of those things, friend, is frankly repentance. We got to be able to go to God daily and say, Lord, is there anything that I'm doing that doesn't please you? Is there anything that I'm doing in my life? That doesn't bring glory to you. Show of hands. How many of you know we need to repent more? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see the hands. Not many, not many people would admit that. Why? Because I believe as a fellowship, we're moving in the right direction. As a body, we're moving in the right direction. We have to stay focused on him. Keep the main thing the main thing. Fast, pray, believe, evangelize. Let people know who Jesus is. That's the basics of Christianity. It's the mission of God. His mission is my mission. His mission is the commission. It's the co-mission. His mission and my mission. That's what it is. Note, I want you to know something, that in repentance, God doesn't revel in your mistakes. God doesn't go, see, I knew you were messed up. Some of us think of God that way. Yeah, you're pretty, yeah, you pre, yeah, you pretty much are a wreck. You're a hot mess. Like God doesn't sit back doing that. He knows exactly where you've been and what you're doing and what you're up to. You know what repentance is? It's acknowledging who your Lord is, that you sinned against him, and now you want to get right with him. I want to get right with God. Who doesn't want to get right with God? Well, if you're in this room, there's a good chance maybe you want to get right with God. And that's a great place to be at. But it involves reviewing your life. Guess what? What you say, whether say it with your mouth or type it on a screen, what you post, how you live, how you act, how you react, guess what the language you use? How many know that your language will determine whether people believe that you're a Christian or not? Did that get too personal? Guess what? It's all right. I'm okay with that. Because we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
So guess what? You have negative patterns in your life? Join the club. We all have negative patterns in our life that need to be adjusted. But it's not okay if you know that needs to be adjusted and you do nothing about it. Right? Rise up. Somebody say rise up. Rise up. It's time to rise up and realize who we are. It's time to say enough is enough. I want to see God move. How many want to see God move? I want to see God move. You know how you see God move? When you decide in your life, number one, find the burden. Number two, fast and pray. Number three, genuinely, continuously repent. Nehemiah went before God and says, God, forgive us. We need you. And last, believe for a breakthrough. Listen, when you come into this room or any time we meet, any prayer meeting, a life group, for crying out loud in, the, in somebody's kitchen or somebody's living room for, for groups, guess what? You're going to pray and you're going to believe before you get there. I'm speaking that into your life. Why? Because when you believe for a breakthrough, it's sowing seed in your miracle. It got real quiet here. How many believe that's praying before you arrive to any location where you're going to know you're going you're gonna to open up the scriptures? You need to preface that with prayer and set the, set the tone even before you leave your house. Amen? Believe for a breakthrough. When you're walking through these doors, listen, whether we sing a song you know or a song that you like, guess what? He's still on the throne. Whether you like the sermon or you don't like the sermon, guess what? He's still on the throne. Whether there's an activity that's for you or an activity that's not, guess what? He's still on the throne. He deserves praise. Amen? So stop making it about you and make it about him. You'll find that you'll enjoy his presence a whole lot more when you make it about him. See, I want us to be a successful church. Not by man's eyes. Not by man's eyes. But when God is standing on his, right beside his throne one day when we go before him and each of us walk before him, he says to us, well done. Friends, you want to know the definition of success? Well done. But you know what you have to do? Rise up. Nehemiah got up from his comfort zone and he went to a city that was in ruins and he was willing to put himself on the line, brick by brick. Guess what? The Bible talks about how they were putting brick by brick. And on the other hand, what did he have? Sword. He's alert. Because I'm building and I'm fighting. Because at any point in time, the enemy could bring something your way. I mean, that's true. How many were ever blindsided and you weren't ready for it? Why? Because you had both hands on the work. And nothing on your war. We're working and we're warring. We're working and we're warring every day. You know what? If you have your hand on the sword the whole time, you won't do anything for Jesus. But if you have your hand on the, on the stone, both hands on the stone, then you won't be ready for war. Guess what happens? If you're here, you're religious, you're overly religious, and nobody wants to hear from you. But if you're over here, you're so caught up in, in, in routine. And nobody believes that you, it's just a process. It's what you're doing. You go to church, you put the bricks on. You, you, you do the work of the Lord, but you forget the Lord of the work. So what do we do? We work 
and we war. We work and we war. But you can't do that if you don't rise up. Find your place. Find your calling. And here's what I want to say to you. What is your focus? Well, when we genuinely, and here's my final thought, when we genuinely believe that inner transformation is God's work and not ours, we can put to rest our, put the rest of our passion in the idea of trying to set someone else straight. Stop trying to set people straight and help them be set free. When you start realizing genuinely that transformation, look at me, look at me, that transformation doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from any of us. True transformation happens inside. It's the work of God, not the work of our hands. When we do that, we realize that we're not called to set people straight. We're called to set people free. He never called you to be judge, jury, or executioner. He called you to be a witness. So get on the stand and witness. But you can't do that if you don't rise up. So you, do you hear my heart right now? Do you hear my heart right now? It's time to rise up, church. It's time to come to a place where we realize... Nothing outside of the presence of God can set people free. Some of you have entered this time in your life where you're coasting. You've known God for so long. Look at me. You've known God for so long that you think you figured him out. Here's a newsflash. If you figured out God, he's either not God or way too small in your eyes. None of us have figured him all out. Absolutely not. The more, in fact, the more I learn about God, the more I realize I don't know. That's a scary thought, right? Here, come learn about God. And then by the end, you're going, man, I feel like I don't know him even more now because he's so vast. But the beauty of knowing God is to say, you are unending in your love. Not just in knowing you is unending, but your love for me is unending. Can I share this with you for a moment before we kind of put this in a capsule God's love for you is unending but not just you everyone you encounter on a day to day basis if you know Jesus you've been called to restore others to him too so I ask myself this question is what I'm doing honoring God or representing him well in anything that I do. Do I fall short? I do. But if you ask yourself that question more and more, I believe you'd post differently on social media. I believe you'd act differently at work. I believe that you would act differently at school as a student. I believe you'd represent him well if every single time you acted or reacted and you're mindful of who your Lord is. Amen? I mean, no, this world will tempt us to go a different direction, right? All of us. It's not a single one of us. But I realize that in my faith, every single time I open my mouth, somebody's looking for something to determine whether I'm true or not. I remember this one time, and I'll share this story. 
I remember this one time, I just became a believer and uh, I was starting to pull away from my friends a little bit of what they were doing when they were going to go out and do things that were not good, right? I would start to say, you know what, I'm going to go do, I'm going to roll out, I'm going to head home. Well, what are you doing? Wait, Tony, where are you going? Where are you going? No, no, I'm good, I'm good. I would pull away from some of those things. And some of them would tease me. Ah, oh, church boy, church boy. And I used to get offended by that. Until I realized I go to church and I'm a boy. So there's that. Now you call me church girl, then we got problem, right? <laughs> but I realized that they understood that I was different. Then one day, can I tell you this true story? Real transparency, ready? I was outside and I was just playing with the ball and two of my friends were super high, like super high. And I wasn't. I pulled away from that. But I was out with them, hanging out with them. And, and I, they were just saying and doing dumb things. And at one point, I got so mad. I swore. And I got mad. I swore. I, like, shut up. Like, and I told them, be quiet, whatever. I don't remember what I said exactly. But the moment they were like, ah, then all of a sudden I said something. They were like, ooh, church boy. And at that moment, oh. blew it that moment I blew it I mind you I was only a Christian for like a year maybe maybe a year but I said something inappropriate and they called me they were in their own world I didn't even know they really were going to hear me but the world is watching and I was like guys I'm going to roll out I'll see you later and I went upstairs to my room I literally closed the door to my bedroom I was a teenager and I went, knelt by my bed, and I repented to God. Is that, the, is that a sin that will bring me to hell? No. But it's something I did that can cause them not to know who Jesus is. Because they didn't see the authentic God in me. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe it's not sin to you. But the way I spoke to me, it was a sin. So I went to God and I prayed. I believe God heard me and I believe God forgave me. I don't believe God was like, dude, you blew it. But I believe that he understood my heart. And from that day forward, I was very careful. Anything I said, especially around them. So what am I saying? I had to make a decision to rise up. Some of you, most of us believe that evangelism and sharing Jesus with somebody is important. But very few do it. Can I encourage you today? Make Christ the center of your life so much that you're willing to tell somebody about it. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment in prayer. Father, you see in this room and in our lives how we, sometimes we take for granted the salvation that we have in you. And we tend to coast. We do. Lord, instead, let me to, lead me to be a better believer to lead others to Jesus not just in my nonverbal communication, but in my verbal communication as well. Lord, help me to live to worship you in all that I do in Jesus' name.